What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 158. Today, we are switching back into true crime mode, and we are going to be talking about the disappearance of Phoenix Colden. And this case is, wow, incredibly frustrating, confusing, and I really just don't know what to think after looking into it. I'm sure a lot of you are going to feel the same way as us. Yeah, there's lots of theories about what happened to her. It's one of those cases where somebody just seemingly vanishes off the face of the earth. Like you mm-hmm. just have no idea, you know, where they went or Leaves what everything. happened to them. And yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those just true mysteries. Ugh, these are the most frustrating. They really are. And this one is another case that really got virtually no attention in the media. I mean, yeah. very, very little news coverage, mm-hmm. very little uh, investigation by the police. And it's just kind of been stagnant um oxygen the network actually did a two-part series on it where you know if you've ever watched oxygen shows i don't know if you're a fan (laughs) of those or not but they kind of like have two people go and take another look at it and Mm -hmm. they talk to a bunch of people and basically come to the same conclusion uh, at the end so well some of these series you know josh and i get a little annoyed by them some of them because sometimes there's just not enough information to make them and they're just like drawing it out for their own financial gain really yeah and and it's kind of frustrating because the details of her case i felt like were a little lost in the documentary that's just how i personally felt i felt like i got better information just online than i did from theirs well yeah i mean at the end of the day you know they are they are giving some airtime to the family and to the case and for phoenix and that's that's great that's great But But. (laughs) (laughs) I'm frustrated also because they have a lot of uh, material that they've copyrighted and we are not able to use it. And I think when there's a disappearance, an active disappearance where people need to people need to know this information and there's serious there's important footage in this case that should be out to the public. I believe the family should have 100 percent access to put this wherever they want, but we can't use it because we'll get copyrighted and the episode could be taken down off YouTube. Mm -hmm. So it's just, yeah, I'm a little annoyed with the production of that series. I know I'm sure the family felt it helpful, but I'm sure they still feel the same way. You know, they should have access to everything at the end of the day. I don't think it should be the same as signing a reality TV show or something, you know, and it's signing your life away in this situation when the information is so vital to be out there and they're just kind of hoarding it. It just rubs me the wrong way. I don't like it. Yeah, it seems like sometimes these networks are kind of like actively looking for families who are kind of at like the end of the road as far as what they can do for yes. their case. And That's they're so they're just kind of like willing to do anything at this point. Yep. And therefore, they end up giving up, you know, tons of information, records, files, clips, videos, photo- photos mm-hmm. to the networks. And then the networks lock it all down mm-hmm. so that so that you're forced to go to their platform to watch you know the episode or whatever on the case when they have the exclusive yeah it's just like it's so stupid because we should when it comes to true crime we should all be sharing information we should all be sharing footage and like if you're actively your goal is to try and help the families which is what they claim they're trying to do is help help the family find phoenix yeah and yet no one else can have access to there's one particular clip in this case that it is absolutely crucial to really understanding Phoenix and who she was and where she was at in her life. And it's a selfie video that she took of herself. Mm -hmm. And yet that's nowhere to be found online. You can't find it anywhere, but in this series, which is super frustrating. I just think that's 
just greedy beyond to just be claiming up content like that from families and be like, we own this, we own that. And like, there's been so many times over the years where we've tried to put in important court footage or footage that I know belongs to families and people have claimed us for it at the end of the day. It's just, it's so frustrating. And recently I was working on a case with a family and they, they had to put it on hold working with me because a network contacted them and was like, Hey, we'll give you a TV thing. But if you do, you have to stop putting it anywhere else. You can't share anything. No YouTubers. It's terrible. And and like, they're not in it for the right reasons at all. And I think that's so I'm not a fan. It's yeah, it's really hard because there's like this fine line between where you're actually helping a case and a family and you're just profiting from Mm -hmm. the entertainment value of of the story. Because in this particular case of Phoenix Colden, it's an absolutely crazy story with lots of twists and turns and just so many, so many possibilities with it. And so they obviously saw an opportunity here to make. A dramatized, you know, with these networks too, they go and do these reenactments, uh, reenactments of things. I and can't stand it, man. It uh, makes my blood boil. I have to leave the room during reenactments. It's, it's just, just, it's annoying. And it's like, I get you're trying to reenact what happened and, and help put a visual to things. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it, it just kind of, it just seems like cheesy and just kind of like, you know, you're trying to take an, uh, a very real mm-hmm. tragedy and story and make it make this it like... Entertainment movie production right like the information could have been condensed into i thought one part that could have been clear for people to have that wasn't chasing you all these different dead ends that don't even make sense i don't know whatever we're going on and on about it we should just get get into into the case yeah we'll get into it so uh this episode of mile higher podcast is actually brought to you by curology stamps.com tushy quip and cat person and also kendall's wearing one of our new items that we dropped on our 420 collection yep uh it's it honestly looks amazing. I like it. it's our steely yep. uh, logo tee, which is really cool. Uh, yep. Tie dye. It's a colorful version of the one that rainbow. we put out last year. And yeah, you guys sold this out yesterday. Well, when this episode goes live, it'll be some time. But you sold it out on 420. So there were so many requests to bring it back <laughs> that day that we ended up just putting it up as pre-sale instead, which is basically like back order. So if you want it, you can still get your hands on it. I know people were really excited about the tie-dye we love tie-dye too it's like all i wear these days well it's all the rage these days it's, <laughs> it's all really the rage come back. as it should be you heard it from josh first yeah. all the rage it is all the rage i mean it's everybody's wearing tie-dye these days every yeah, from comedians good. to musicians to oh, comedians oh yeah comedians are are, are making tie-dye merch mm-hmm. everybody's making tie-dye merch these days mm-hmm. i love it bring back it's the cool. tie-dye it's cool it's, it feels sometimes bring like we're going in back in time like with our fashion and just the way yeah. you know people dress but anyways that's kind of unrelated to <laughs> just an interesting thought in my head but yeah i love how this one turned out though i've been living in this t-shirt all week it looks really good so, and we also have these tumblers too. oh I've yeah these are really these. cool you guys have asked for tumblers for a long time we finally have them and it's kind of multi duochrome purple yeah. Blue is duochrome the right word or is that like a makeup term? Honestly, I don't know. I it's like it's kind <laughs> it's like of give me colors. hollow duo, but I don't think it's actually hollow. It's really cool. It's kind of iridescent. Yeah. It's looking. iridescent. It turned out good. <laughs> I'm super happy with it. We have a couple other items too. Um, I'm not sure what will be left as far as they're, accessories. They're, yeah. That's kind of limited. So go but go check it go out. Go see what's left. Malharmerch.com. Yeah. Also, if you guys haven't checked out our CBD, that's HigherLevelWellness.com. But All right. let's go ahead and get into the case of Phoenix Colden because this is just absolutely crazy one. Okay, so Phoenix Lucille Colden. She was born May 23rd, 1988 in California. And she's a stunningly beautiful girl. She is. 
She was raised by her parents, Goldia and Lawrence Colden, in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. Phoenix was known as someone who could get along with anyone. She could make friends easily. She had a bright, beautiful smile and was going far in life. She was a very high achiever. She was known to be very polite and well-spoken and very, very smart. And growing up, Phoenix was very involved in church. Her and her family took church very seriously, and they went every single Sunday. Yeah, I mean, they were very devoted to their faith Mm -hmm. and still are. Yep, and from a young age, she was in the choir at church. And in general, she just loved music. She played several different instruments, guitar, violin, piano, and she was also a regional fencing champion. Yeah, she actually, uh, if you've ever been to church before at a service where they have the bell choir, where they're like ringing the bells together. Oh, is that what it is? No, I didn't know. Yeah, so she was in the bell choir. I don't think she was singing. I think she was just played the bells. I thought it was like the name of the choir, the bell choir, but that makes sense. A yeah, bell like choir. Have you, they wear little gloves and you like ring the bells. At my church, it oh, was yeah. always like kids. It was always like the kids bell choir oh, at Christmas. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, beautiful. I was never in it because clearly too good for that. But she was very talented musically and just, you know, overall was excelling in pretty much everything that she did. And like I mentioned, she was a regional fencing champion, which is really badass. You don't hear fencing very often. No, you know? no. How and cool. It does look fun, though. It reminds me of the parent trap. It's like all I've seen oh as far God. as fencing goes. That's funny. <laughs> so Phoenix was homeschooled her entire life all the way through high school. Ooh, that's rough. Yeah. I mean, what do I mean? Well, I have I so, you know, if you know anything about my background, I grew up very religious. I can relate a lot to Phoenix in this story Mm -hmm. and just like how she was raised. My parents wanted to homeschool my brother and I. They did. Tried to many times, but we never said we never (laughs) were down with it because we knew what came along with it because we went to uh, church with a lot of homeschool kids Mm -hmm. and homeschool kids just tend to be very, very sheltered. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because in that type of environment, I mean, your parents literally control your world. They -hmm. control who you see, what you do every day, what you learn about. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you're very, very sheltered and naive about everything, really. And I mean, some people do homeschooling a different way. Right. And really get their kids out there. And it's a completely different experience. But you're talking about religious homeschooling specifically. Parents like Phoenix's parents. Right. Right. Obviously, there's parents that do it right. But Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but a lot of religious homeschool you know, situations are very sheltered and they do control everything. Yeah. And that's how she felt. She felt like she was living kind of in a bubble, you know, protected from anyone that her parents thought would be a bad influence on her. They controlled what she did, who she hung out with, where she spent her time, how she, I mean, obviously they were all over her grades and her activities as well, making sure she was the best she could possibly be. One of the things that you have to like, I'm trying to paint a picture for people that didn't grow up religious or grow up with religious parents is that you in this type of environment, your parents, you know, kind of preach to you that, well, God and the Bible want us to take care, you know, take care of you and protect you from the world. Right. You know, I used to use this term with you, like people of the world. Yeah. I remember you were a person of the world world, and my parents warned me and said, be careful of that, that girl of the world. (laughs) You know, that's really funny. I just want to say that religious parents, you know, when, when they create this kind of environment, it's coming from a good place. And when I'm talking about this, I don't, I don't mean to sound like pessimistic about it or negative about Mm -hmm. it, but like they, 
most parents are generally coming from a good place. They want to protect you from the dangers of the world and yeah. the people of the world. And, you know, you want to fill your life with people of Christ and people of the church mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of keep you in that, that bubble mm -hmm. of other like-minded people. And somewhat they're doing it out of fear too, yes. you know, and maybe it's been taught to them generationally. Maybe right. their parents raised them the same way to be scared, to basically that if you don't do these things and you don't control your right. child, that they're going to end up as a person of the world. Right. Which I get to some extent that, you know, this is a good thing to do, but at the same time, by sheltering and keeping your child in a bubble, mm -hmm. you are preventing their development in the real world, you know, in the world outside of the bubble. That eventually that they they're going to be in. Exactly. And that was the issue with Phoenix is that she grew up in this bubble. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was very difficult to transition to outside of the bubble, what life was like. So after high school, she enrolled in the University of Missouri in St. Louis, and her parents rented an apartment near campus and paid for it. Her mom was on the lease. So the summer before her junior year, she moved back in with her parents. They lived on Country Brook Drive in Spanish Lake, Missouri, which is about a half an hour from St. Louis. While she was in college, she had kind of put fencing on hold. And a few weeks before Christmas in 2011, she started going back to it and seemed to be really enjoying it again. She was talking to her fencing instructor about getting private lessons and possibly even entering some competitions. So that brings us to Sunday, December 18th, 2011, a week before Christmas. Phoenix was 23 years old, and that day she went to church with her mom, as she usually does on Sundays. They went to the 11 o'clock service and did some shopping before they all headed home. And then early that afternoon, Goldia saw Phoenix step outside. This wasn't unusual. She often would sit in her SUV to make phone calls, which tells us that she probably had some things going on that she may not have wanted Goldia to know about. She was sitting in her car in the driveway, and the way our house is made, when I passed the front windows, I could see the car, the back of the car in the driveway, and I thought she was probably just sitting out there talking on the phone as she normally does. Then I think I went in my room or in the basement I did not see her leave. Her dad saw her leave. All right. Well, Lawrence, you saw her pull out, pull away and back out of the, the driveway and, the driveway. and drive off. OK, yes, so she I just did. drove off. Yeah, she had been in the back of the house uh, shooting hoops and she came home. She came in the house, put the basketball away and went and sat in the in her vehicle. And approximately 3 p.m. She backed out of the driveway and she, she drove off. Lawrence saw her pull out of the driveway around three o'clock. He assumed that she was going to the store around the corner or possibly to a friend's house. So around midnight, her parents started to get worried because Phoenix wasn't home yet. And this was unlike her. So the next morning, they started calling her friends and relatives to see if anyone else had heard from her. They contacted police as well to report her missing. Her mom said that Phoenix had walked out of the house with conviction. She had never seen her daughter like that before, and she felt really worried for her. Yeah, with her, conviction. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's she clearly noticed that something was up with her. Like mm -hmm. she, she was not in her normal state of mind that they were used to seeing her in. Mm -hmm. And her parents made it very clear that you know she never didn't just like come home like that. As far as her parents knew, Phoenix never was out all night, or you know mm -hmm. didn't tell them where she was or when she was going to be home. So this was. Very, very strange that they hadn't heard from her and she still wasn't home at this point. Her parents told police that she was driving a 1998 black Chevy Blazer that was registered to her mom, 
Goldia, and they ran plates through their system, and they did not find anything. So when they called the police, an officer came over and, you know, they're explaining, this is unlike my daughter. She's not here. I want to file a missing persons report. And the officer was like, oh, well, you know, she's she's of age. You know, we don't we don't need to do that. She's probably just out with friends or something. Yeah, actually, I did find a clip that I believe we can play of her mom talking about this. We gave him all the information and he asked for her birth date. I said, May 23rd, 1988. That's her birthday. He stopped writing. 1988? I I could tell he was doing some mental calculations. It was hurting him really bad. Uh, So I told the officer, I think you need to make a report. Our daughter, something's wrong. She hasn't called home. So he went out to his car and he ran. Now listen carefully now. He ran her plates. Nothing showed up. So he said he was going to make a report. Well, I had a feeling that he wouldn't. So I called NamUs, and I talked to someone there, and she told me what to do. She says, Mrs. Colden, what I want you to do is call back and ask for another officer, and if you don't want another officer, ask for a sergeant to come out. So the next day, another officer, now we're at December 20th now, Another officer came out. She apologized for the previous officer, and I told her, you don't need to apologize when you have done nothing. He's the one who needs to apologize, and I doubt that I will ever get an apology for him because he is stupid, okay? So she made the report. So that clearly tells you how they felt about the first officer that came that day. They basically were like, she's too old for this. She can just leave, you know? What are you worried about? She'd probably just left. Which is so irritating because obviously, yes, as an adult, you can leave. Anyone can leave. But that doesn't mean that she did. To just automatically assume that is just the most lazy thing. And it happens probably every day all over this country that people get told these things like, oh, they're too old. Oh, you have to wait too. you have to wait longer. You know, it's always some bullshit because they don't even want to take the time to start truly looking when that's the most important time. Right now, in a disappearance, you've got to move quick. Your chances of finding this person are going to lower and lower by the hour. Right. How frustrating. And I mean, luckily, her parents knew that this is bullshit from the beginning and were like, "Uh uh-uh, you know, got someone else. They actually went and requested someone else. But it's just, it's disappointing to hear things like this. You'd think that people that are in this field would be there because they care. You would hope that police officers care. And obviously, some do, but it's clear that Some just don't. Yeah. And I think it's also just a lack of training too, a lack of knowledge, probably. I I mean, I don't think there's that much training in academy and things like that for patrol officers regarding missing persons, you know, other, unless that person is, you know, there's a reason for them to be in imminent, imminent danger or they're a child or disabled or something like that for them to go and start looking. But if it's a, you know, normal, healthy adult, that's over 18, then But we have an epidemic of missing people in this country. You'd think it would be one of the top things that you do in training. You'd think. And I just pulled stats on that. And it's over 600,000 people that are reported missing every year. It's fucking insane. In the United States. So, I mean, that's a lot of people. And and I I mean, I agree with you. Don't get me wrong. I agree Mm -hmm. that I think like it's baffling that we know about this epidemic of, you know, missing persons and how many of those people end up, you know, at the hands of foul play or, or yeah. other things. 
that there's not a better system like there should be why hasn't there been like a a system that has been implemented and training been implemented mm-hmm. for at least take a report and put out you know try to make contact with like yeah th- this is my thing is like you can call the police and say i want to do a welfare check on somebody right mm-hmm. you can be like hey can you send an officer over there oh, we haven't heard from them do a welfare check on them but yet we can't like have them issue a welfare check for somebody that could be in danger but is you know over the age 18 that is missing you know like wouldn't it make sense for them to have a similar type of protocol to follow if a parent's like my child lives with me and this is completely out of like they don't Mm -hmm. it's it's almost like they can't take that seriously at all the decision to start the process should be made by the family not by the officers you know who's going to know them best the family the friends like they shouldn't just be making these generalizations oh they probably this they probably that or whatever they're old enough to just leave right it's just stupid yeah yeah it's absolutely it truly makes no sense because obviously a huge reason why people go missing is because they end up in human trafficking a lot of the time and we're going to be looking at that as a possibility for this case and these people these human traffickers they're professionals and they move quick like you have minutes in these situations and to hear people bullshitting around like this it's just disappointing it's it's sad it makes me scared that if something were to happen to me like you know if something would we should all be scared if this is the way that cases are treated and this happens so often i know it's absolutely insane so going back to the timeline so phoenix gets in her car she leaves it Mm -hmm. seems like uh, it, there's a lot of conflicting reports about exact times and everything, yeah. but we believe it was around three o'clock that she left her parents' house. But um, her best friend's mom reported seeing Colden, who says she spoke with her briefly driving out of the neighborhood around 4.30 or 4.45 p.m. She actually saw her leave. So again, regardless of whether or not, you know, the t- we again don't know the exact timeline and what is the exact timeline for Phoenix. A person found the Chevy Blazer she was driving abandoned in the middle of the road and called the police at 5:27 p.m. and an officer was dispatched a minute later and arrived on the scene at 5:42 p.m. according to the police report. So, her vehicle was in the middle of St. Clair Avenue, which is in a crime-ridden area of East St. Louis, Illinois. Cuz if you've ever looked at St. Louis before, it's split, you know, you can get between the two states in a matter of, you know, 10, 20 minutes or so. And this was about a 30-minute drive from Phoenix's house. Her vehicle is literally abandoned in the middle of a traffic lane. An East St. Louis police officer, Kendall Perry, filed out a police report indicating that the car had been abandoned. And according to the officer that found Phoenix's abandoned vehicle, there is a lot of conflicting reports. And even the parents had heard, and this was just a rumor, I guess, or something that they caught word of from somebody that it was on still, the driver door was open, Mm -hmm. And it was running and everything, but that wasn't true. According to the police officer that actually responded to this car, it was off, closed, but just sitting in the middle of the road pretty much, which is very, very odd. Seems to be still kind of some question about that. Yeah, which, I mean, how will we ever really know? Mm -hmm. I guess according to the police report, that's that was the case. So to the police officer, he just was like, looks like somebody abandoned their vehicle Maybe it ran out of gas or something, so they left. They just left the vehicle there and and you know went to go get gas or something. So he ended up having a tow truck come and tow Phoenix's vehicle to an impound lot in Illinois. 
the officer did happen to look inside the vehicle and according to him you know there wasn't anything that you know kind of looked out of the ordinary there was a few small items inside like a pen and he's reported not seeing a purse or anything else that could identify the owner so you know he made sure that the vehicle wasn't stolen and you know had it towed he also entered the vehicle into a nationwide system so that it would come up if the vehicle is reported stolen however there was no process for linking a vehicle with a missing person case and i don't think there is still to this day even though this vehicle is registered to phoenix's mother goldia she was never notified that it had been impounded and it actually wasn't linked to phoenix's case until january 2nd 2012 nearly two weeks after she disappeared when a close family friend was searching for the vehicle finally found it in the impound lot and there's here's actually a clip of lawrence explaining that whole experience and i saw phoenix when she backed out of the driveway and headed out of the subdivision and to my mind at the time it was just she was going around to the store or maybe to a friend's house uh, it was unlike her not to say anything when she was leaving home so but i didn't think too much of it at the time when the, when the truck was finally the truck was found the same day well think about it they didn't know that and we didn't know it either so the fact that her vehicle was found abandoned literally a few hours after she left their house yet the family had no clue about it is very troubling right yeah and it's obviously you know connected to her being missing obviously no one knew that but two weeks pass since this all happens and that's that's unacceptable that's enough time for you know something bad to happen and for her to even be taken somewhere completely different you know and meanwhile every hour of every day they're freaking out trying to grasp onto any clue or anything that can tell them where she is and they have the fucking car yeah like it's just sitting in an impound it's so sad to think that people actually have to go through this yeah and what's also interesting to note is that the vehicle was found kind of on a side road right next to I-70, one of the major mm-hmm. highways here in the U.S., yep. and it's called the Sex Trafficking Highway. Mm-hmm. And St. Louis is actually in the top 10 hotspots for sex trafficking in the country, if, if not in the top five. It is. And yeah, you definitely your mind goes to that when you hear of a car being parked so close to an interstate, especially one like this. So that's actually known right. because that's how they get people out of there quick as minimal off-roads as they can. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they don't have to go very far Mm -hmm. to then get on a highway where they can go 75 miles an hour and be in another state in a matter of, you know, Plus there's less cameras too. That's true. You know, you're not going past stores and things like that. Right, you're not, exactly. There's a less possibility. And they probably, it's if she was human trafficked, it's possible she was sought out because of her race. Because people... Inhuman trafficking will go for people of color because they know that the police just statistically do less and there's less of a chance that they're going to come back, you know, come at you as hard as they would maybe if it was a white person. I mean, it's just true when it comes to human trafficking. The numbers are outrageously swayed that way. Yeah. And I I think it has to do with, you know, economics as well. Like you go for, you know, you target somebody from a lower income family that may not have the resources either to go after, you know, something like yeah, that. Yeah, in some cases, maybe not this one, but yeah. 
So the next logical step was to have the police's crime scene unit come out to the impound lot in order to process the vehicle. And when police went out there, they basically took photos, took inventory of what was found inside. And they did conclude that it was Phoenix's SUV, which they already knew. Mm-hmm. But they didn't see any indication of a robbery or any sort of violent attack. I mean, there was no evidence from what they could see inside of it. Also, the problem with it sitting for two weeks is that a lot of that DNA evidence is going to deteriorate if there was any in the first place mm-hmm. or just any sort of, of evidence is just you know going to be a lot harder to obtain after that much time has passed. I mean, you know, that's why they always say the first 48 hours are so crucial in, in a case, a uh, missing persons case, because after 48 hours, I mean, you can be long gone and, you know, it's going to be very difficult for anybody to find you. It's true. Investigators also kept a lot of the details about this case from the public and even from the family. And Phoenix's parents were given everything they found in the SUV, but most of it had been thrown in the back. And the most significant thing they found was a letter from a collection agency for a cell phone. Phoenix was on her parents' family plan with T-Mobile, but this letter was for an entirely different phone. So that's, I mean, that's pretty big news to find out that your daughter has a second cell phone that they had no clue about that she was Mm -hmm. using. Yeah, that would be pretty shocking. I'm sure for them, they were blown away by that. That leads you to believe that, you know, she's hiding something or, you know, she might be living a double life or trying to avoid, you know. She have a whole secret life. Because, I mean, when you're on your family plan, I mean, your parents can pull your records whenever Mm -hmm. they want. They can, you know, figure out who you're talking to and what you're messaging and things like that. So she wanted to keep whoever she was talking to on this other phone on the DL. Yeah. So that's when we'll kind of start talking about Phoenix's possible double life. Now, before we get into that, we were going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back. So it was starting to look like Phoenix possibly could have had somewhat of a secret life going on, or at least a secret that her parents didn't know about. And knowing that she had a secret cell phone definitely makes... Really confirms that. Yeah, totally. So police confirmed that they looked at records for both phones and used them to track her movements the day that she disappeared. But that's all they'll say. There's a lot that they're still not putting out to the public as of right now. Well, this case is still open and active, so Mm -hmm. I get why they're you know keeping that close to them there's certain things because it probably does provide quite a bit of information regarding you know who the dealings that she had Mm -hmm. on that day as well as location Mm -hmm. and a secret phone wasn't all that phoenix was hiding some of her friends also knew that she had a secret boyfriend who they told police was named mike b and they assumed that she was using this secret second phone to call him but records show that she called Mike B from her family plan phone. Interesting. Yeah, definitely makes this more confusing. They talked a lot in the days leading up to her disappearance, in fact. Even the day before she went missing, they talked 10 different times. And one call lasted 116 minutes. So you'd think that maybe Mike knows some things. Yeah, yeah. So he allegedly tells investigators that he hadn't talked to her that day. And later, he didn't remember what they had even talked about. So definitely mm. gets on their radar immediately as something yeah, possibly little sketchy. Little weird. Can't remember what you talked about for 116 minutes. Mm, right? That's a lot of minutes. So on the day that she disappeared, she had a six-minute phone call with Mike B at 9.41 a.m. And then a one-minute call at 1.46 p.m. And this was the last call that she ever made from this phone. And Mike B was actually ruled out as a suspect. 
As far as the police concerned, he had absolutely nothing to do with Phoenix's disappearance. And they're super confident about that too. They said yeah. like 100% pretty much that mm -hmm. he had nothing to do with it, which is interesting. But they won't really explain why right. or how they know this. Exactly. But what's strange is when her parents found out about him, they obviously wanted to talk to him themselves, but he never responded to them, which is weird. Very weird. They also found out that she had lived with Mike B in an apartment that they had rented for her. You know, the apartment that she was staying in in college, they were paying the bill on that. And apparently he was staying there too, but she kept it completely secret from them because he wasn't the kind of guy that they would approve of, but they definitely wouldn't have approved of her living in a man with a man in general. Right. You know, that was definitely against their kind of code of ethics. And Goldia was suspicious that maybe she did have a guy there and she wanted to make sure that she didn't. So at times where she visited, she would snoop around the apartment, check the closets, look in the medicine cabinets, looking for any sign that a man lived there, you know, maybe a razor blade, something like that, but found absolutely nothing. So she always thought that Phoenix was living alone there. She had no idea that she actually had this guy, Mike, staying there sometimes. Apparently she was really skilled at hiding things. So eventually, when she moved back home, it wasn't because she wanted to. She definitely would have rather stayed in the apartment, but Goldia was paying for the apartment. And eventually she decided, it's time you come home and said, you know, we're done paying for this. And she couldn't afford it anymore. So she moved back in with them, which was not what, you know, she was not happy about this. No, and her parents kind of use the excuse like, oh, we live close enough to the university. Why do you need your own place? And you can just live yep. at home for free. And Sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, it sounds very familiar. <laughs> so Goldia has said that she doesn't think that Mike B was actually involved in her daughter's disappearance, but she does believe that he possibly could have introduced Phoenix to, you know, the wrong crowd. Goldia had taught her to make friends who were, quote, at her level while being nice to everyone. She told her daughter to let her mom and dad meet her friends and help decide if they should be a part of her inner circle. That's how controlled she was to the point where they were picking and choosing who she should be friends with and kind of harping on people they didn't want her yeah, around. Still trying to shelter her at 20 some years old. Like that's going to drive any yep. child away that's not interested in, you know, mm -hmm. following, you know, in the same path that you know, her parents were, were following. So yeah, she was not digging it. And one thing that I found, found was uh, really odd when watching that oxygen documentary, the series was her mom said something, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of my daughter was picking friends based on who looked like her with the same skin as her versus looking at their heart yeah. and who they were. Right. Which I thought was just an odd thing to say. Like she had no trustment or trust in her daughter's sense of judgment. Sorry, I'm like mixing my words here, but it doesn't seem like she felt like she was able to know who was right and who was wrong. She had like no faith in her daughter to decide who to be around. Which to me, that kind of raises some red flags because it, it makes me think that this was a, there was a trust between, you know, trust issues between her and her parents for a long time. And oh, yeah. that's, you know, she likes, likes to say and kind of like tell Phoenix's story as if, you know, she was all about everything that they were doing and church and, you know, following these strict rules and homeschooling when, when in actuality, I think it was quite the opposite. I think it was kind of like a, a tug of war with uh, Phoenix and her parents. And, you mm -hmm. know, Phoenix was really wanting to be, you know, quote unquote, a normal kid and, and go to school and, you know, have normal friends and go to parties and things like that. And 
that's what she wanted yet her parents you know were like absolutely not mm -hmm. and like you said we're just controlling her to the point where you know they she got to a point where she said you know i don't i don't want to you know once i'm out of your house i don't want to follow your rules anymore and i just don't understand the thinking behind that like how long do these types of parents think they're going to be able to control who's in their child's life like are you going to be when they're 40 years old saying who's who's a good friend and who's not well there's a lot of parents who even like you know, you always hear about people. Oh, if I bring you home to my parents, I don't know what they're going to think. You oh, know, right. Yeah. A lot of mm -hmm. a lot of people look for their parents approval just to get married. You know, you always see that in movies and stuff where they're like, well, it, yeah. I, if I'm going to get married to you, it really depends on what my dad thinks or what my mom thinks, and which I think I get that more extent, yeah. than the friend thing, though, like right. controlling every single person she hung out with versus having an opinion on a boyfriend, I think is different. You know, obviously, parents are going to have their thoughts on your partner, but to control every single friend like how long were they thinking they were gonna go on controlling her like this and she i think she felt just suffocated that she couldn't even pick in like her yeah i mean it's clear she felt the judgment she felt stuck yeah. and unfortunately it seems like this this type of parenting ends up backfiring oftentimes on the parents yeah a lot i would say well isn't part of life to meet people sometimes you meet the wrong people and it's a lesson yeah, I, right. I believe people come into your life and they're the wrong per person and they teach you something and you grow from it right and you if you're learn just that. trying to protect your kid from every single person out there i mean which i do get and obviously well imagine you know coming into that sort of situation in your 20s Mm -hmm. when you've never had to deal with, you know, bad people before or, you know, had any sort of you've been so sheltered that you've never made any big mistakes or had any run ins with right. people that all of a sudden you're in your 20s. And, you know, in this, you know, in this particular area mm -hmm. that she was in and, and around that, you know, it's very easy to bump into the wrong person. And if you're not prepared or have the knowledge and know how to distinguish, you know, whether or not somebody is trustworthy or is you know somebody you want to hang out with i mean that's a very scary situation for for phoenix to be in yeah because she really doesn't know what to look for or you know if people are telling her the truth or not because her parents have always been that filter for her for the world right and now you know you know you would think that oh well in their her parents eyes all of this was to make her this warrior and give her this armor of god and you know go out into the world and just like bam bam block all of this you yeah. know negativity and and bad people away from her when in actuality there's a lot of snakes out there and mm -hmm. when the snakes come in and you're not used to to dealing with the snakes then you're going to have a much higher probability of, of falling victim to those snakes and i mean we don't know if she even did fall victim to those snakes That's true. you know That's true. i mean we don't know if there even were any snakes right. necessarily it sounds like mike b was the main person that she was really talking to i mean 116 minute phone call and he's cleared so also her parents think that this could have been some type of like breakup call so i mean there's there's just no other information as far as was there more people was the bad crowd around yeah. as they say we don't, don't really know. know so one thing that really stuck out to her mom after all this was going on was the last time that they went to church together Phoenix said something to her mom that made Goldia feel like she was coming back to her and leaving behind whatever trouble she had gotten into and possibly this wrong crowd that she speaks of. She said that she specifically told her, and of course, it's just from Goldia, but she said, Mom, we need to get back to the way we used to be. 
And Goldia asked what she meant. And she said, we just need to be more like what we used to be. And apparently there was also a cryptic note that could have been written by Phoenix found in the SUV because it does match the handwriting in her notebooks from class. And it reads, well, we're not completely sure that this is what it reads. This is what Goldia thinks that it says after studying it because it was kind of hard to read. But it says, we think you need to make up your mind before 2012 or else I will show you what I can do about your parents. It was dated December 18th. One of the biggest questions in this case is, you know, why was she in East St. Louis? Mm -hmm. This is very odd because this area and the people in this area are generally, you know, there's a lot of crime. There's lots of drugs. Mm -hmm. There's lots of just dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. There's just lots of illegal activity going on. And it wasn't a place that she ever hung out. No, no. As far as as far as her parents knew, that's for sure. Right. As far as we all know. So there's lots of opportunities that you could be hurt, killed or even kidnapped. The other thing that definitely raises some suspicion is that both of her cell phones, her social media, and all her accounts just stopped when she went missing. So there's no clues about why she was in East St. Louis or what she was after. Another thing that came up was that one of her oldest friends, Tim Baker, had come over to visit Thanksgiving 2011 and got together with Phoenix. They had been close since the fifth grade. Tim had actually come out in high school and lost a lot of friends as a result of it, and Phoenix was always there for him. They actually hung out nearly every day after school. Tim knew about Mike B and the fact that they had lived together. But during that visit, Phoenix talked about school like everything was normal. After she went missing, everyone found out she had it enrolled that semester. She was actually just pretending to go to school, which it's hard to imagine why such an accomplished student would go from the dean's list to dropping out in such a short period of time. Very, very weird. Her mom thought her daughter was experimenting with rap music and drugs. Experimenting with rap music. I mean, that's just how conservative, you know, her parents are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and that could mean lots of different things. Could just mean she was, you know, smoking a little weed or something. So at this time, Phoenix had been living with her parents for about seven months. And it seems like she was struggling with this a lot more than people knew. And there was even more to this double life she may have been living. Long before she had moved back in with her parents, Phoenix had found saving bonds in her mom's name in a safe in their house. And she stole these. She stole about $2,500 worth. And it seemed like she was saving them for something big. And she also found more than money in the safe. She found something more shocking. She had two birth certificates. One was for Phoenix Lucille Colden The other was for Phoenix Lucille Reeves. Reeves is Goldia's maiden name, and her father, Lawrence, wasn't even listed on that birth certificate. So she was very confused, and it seemed like Phoenix possibly could have been born out of wedlock, which obviously this is something that Goldia has been preaching against for years. Yep. Goldia was a single mom until she married Lawrence and changed their names. And then Lawrence adopted Phoenix. And she didn't know any of this before. So that was completely shocking. So to just think about this for a second. You, you know, you're raised by Goldia and all these rules and, and, you know, God first and all of that. And then all of a sudden you find out that your own mother was doing exactly what she was preaching you not to do. The opposite of everything she had taught her. I could see how that would be very upsetting for her and and honestly piss you off to the point where maybe you wouldn't want anything to do with your parents anymore. Yeah. Maybe you would just leave. Yeah. So in 2018, oxygen produced that two part documentary about Phoenix's case. 
And this was investigated by reporter Chandrea Thomas and retired deputy police chief Joe D'Elia. And they discovered that there were only four women named Phoenix Reeves in the United States. One was deceased, two had long histories, but one had no past at all. And there was no date of birth or relatives or a social security number. The only record of this person ever existing was an address in Anchorage, Alaska, that was listed as a place of residence from January to June of 2012. So Joe, the guy in the documentary, traveled to Alaska and talked to the owner of the residence. She had lived there since 2002 and had never rented it out. And she didn't even recognize the name Phoenix and didn't know who anyone named Phoenix Reeves or Phoenix Colden were. Right. So clearly this was just a dead end and, you know, yeah, it, it seemed like maybe there was more to it because of the name, but it nobody recognized you know, her face or anything. No, I mean, he talked to neighbors too. No one, no one knew who she was. So it just seemed like a dead end. But then they also found some strong evidence that something big could have been going on with Phoenix just before she vanished. They interviewed Akira Hogan, who lived across the street from Phoenix. They had been best friends since 2005 and told each other everything. She was really close with Akira. Akira said that Goldia was so strict that Phoenix wasn't even allowed to leave her porch. Oh my God. She thought Akira was a bad influence on her daughter as well. Yeah. Like they literally kept her holed up inside the house pretty much. Yeah. And Akira seems really nice too. She seemed like a great person. Mm -hmm. It's very odd. So Phoenix obviously hated being homeschooled. She wanted to go to prom. She wanted to be around kids her own age. She just wanted to stop being so controlled. And when her mom made her move home, they started fighting all the time because now she had gotten a taste of freedom. So that's even harder to go back. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you go back. Oh, I don't know either. Especially when, you know, you left a situation that was this strict. Yeah. I mean, she even had to follow curfew and her mom would get like pissed if she didn't come back before curfew. Phoenix at this point seemed down to a lot of her friends, like all the time. She just wasn't acting like herself. Yeah. And then she also seemed paranoid. Akira used the word depressed. Yeah. Phoenix seemed depressed, according to her. Apparently, she told Akira that people were following her and watching her. And she said that someone was after her and that something was going to happen to her. Which, I mean, people don't just say that. No. Why would why would anybody just say that for what attention? Like, clearly, she felt like something was going to happen. And this is her close friend. She has no reason to just make this up, you know. Right, right. So apparently a week before Phoenix disappeared, she and Akira got in a huge fight. And she accused Akira of talking about her. She said that she was talking about her and her boyfriend. Akira denied it, but Phoenix was so angry that apparently she pulled out a knife and she kept it in the driver's side door of her SUV and even threatened Akira with it. Wow. Which was shocking to her. She felt like this made no sense. This was so unlike her friend. She was clearly paranoid. Something big was going on. So Phoenix told her she was going to be packing up her stuff and going away. And when Akira asked where she was going, she just said she was leaving. She said she didn't seem like herself, like something was clearly wrong. Something was happening with her in those weeks before she disappeared. When they had that altercation, she did end up putting the knife away. She luckily didn't do anything to her friend. And they kind of made up. But that was the last time that Akira even talked to Phoenix. Yeah, that's that's a really hard way to, you know, leave your best friend, like, in that type of situation pulls a knife on you and Mm -hmm. then you know she just disappears like how do you even how do you even deal with that i don't know 
So now we're going to be talking about that clip that we had mentioned in the beginning of the episode that we don't have access to, but we believe that this should be blasted everywhere for this case. So it's really sad that Oxygen has kind of put the clamp down on it, but it's a video selfie, or I guess a selfie video. I've never really heard it called that, but it's just kind of like a video diary almost. Like it seems like something maybe she would have posted to like followers, but it was just for her. It's, it's weird. It confused me. Yeah. I thought at first maybe she had a YouTube channel, but no, this was just a video clip she made. And this was made a month before she disappeared. Yeah. I want to say it was like November at some point. So yeah, roughly about a month before she just vanished. Yeah. And in this video, guys, she looks really upset. Like you can tell depressed is probably the right word for it and scared. She looks very concerned. She started the video saying that she got ditched and this is ridiculous. Some of the video is hard to understand, but a lot of what she said was very telling. Here's a quote from it. She said, I just want to start over. I just feel like I can't start the new me over. She also did her own version of the serenity prayer and said, Lord, please help me accept the things that won't change and that I won't change the things that I can't change. She also said, I just want to be happy, man. I can't remember a time when I was happy, genuinely happy. I feel so stupid because I let myself go a little bit. I probably would have been in a better situation if I would have stuck with how it used to be. Might as well ride in the back with the cops all up in here. The only person that won't let me down is me. So clearly she's at a very dark and almost desperate point it seems when i watch this and you know hear these things that she says the thing that jumps out to me or the statement that she makes that jumps out to me is might as well ride in the back with all the cops up in here so the only time you would think you know you would say something like that with the cops all up in here is if you are maybe trying to avoid being caught after committing a crime and might as well ride in the back if you're going to ride in the back i mean if she's driving this vehicle by herself riding in the back doesn't make sense. She wouldn't say mm -hmm. ride in the back. So that implies that somebody is driving the vehicle. So my first thought is, you know, potentially she is maybe working for a pimp or something in some type of prostitution operation. And, you know, she's been doing that for whatever reason. And now she's worried that, you know, she's going to get caught by the police. Yeah, of course, that's a possibility. But it also could have been drug related or she just got herself into something in her life. Maybe she got pregnant outside of marriage. For all we know, she felt like she couldn't go home and tell them. It, it could have been so many different things. But one thing that's clear is she says, the only person that won't let me down is me. She's had fights with her parents, especially her mom, now her close friend Akira. And who knows? It sounds like she may have even been fighting with Mike B. We don't know if there was a breakup going on there or not. But she clearly couldn't trust anybody. Yeah. And she must have felt like there was some type of trouble that someone else had got her in. So I think her mom's idea of her possibly being with the wrong crowd does make a lot of sense yeah and akira was actually shown the selfie video in the oxygen series and after watching it i mean akira was like tearing up and because i mean phoenix just looks so so depressed yeah. and and clearly you know in a really bad spot mm -hmm. according to kira she thought it was likely that phoenix had left on her own but perhaps someone else was keeping her from coming back which to me That's seems possible. like a very good assumption to make because why not go and at least tell your parents that you're alive? You know, it kind of goes back to that cryptic note that was found of, you know, you know, figure out what we need to do about your parents, you know, before right. 2012 or whatever. So yeah. to me, that seems like 
there, you know, she is probably being held against her will to some extent. And that's, you know, maybe they've threatened her, you know, we're going to go after your parents. If you try to go return to them. I mean, it clearly seems like she's gotten wrapped up in some type of, of shady business. So there's some other interesting things about Phoenix's potential secret double life that we'll get into. But before we do that, we're going to take our last ad break and we'll be right back. Series, they revealed some more information about her double life. It turns out that Phoenix had wanted to leave Mike B, but she didn't know how. So she started seeing other guys behind his back. And one of these guys was another guy named Mike, and he worked at a phone store and gave her discounts. The second phone wasn't to talk to Mike B. It was actually to talk to this new Mike, cell phone Mike. They also found out that this cell phone Mike uh, had a restraining order that was placed against him by one of his exes. And they actually went and talked to this ex and she was only willing to be on camera if she could remain anonymous. Probably scared of him. Yeah. And according to her, she and Mike met in 2010 and dated for about a year and a half. And according to her, he was possessive and controlling and he would slam her against doors or onto the ground. And at the time, she was about 25 years old and didn't even realize she was in an abusive relationship. But over the holidays in 2011, this Mike got obsessed with the missing person case of Phoenix Colden. He said he was only interested in the case because he was studying psychology. But he eventually admitted he knew her and that she was a customer at his store. And during an argument that they had, he admitted that he had actually slept with Phoenix and obviously she was very upset by this news and he proceeded to tell her, quote, why are you worried about someone that's dead? And, you know, they kind of asked her, well, you know, do you know if he meant this literally or, or what was the deal with this? And she said she wasn't sure if he was assuming she was dead or if he really knew something. But that's a that's a pretty, pretty bold statement. It there. is. And it could be that he just said that because he was just trying to you know, get out of this argument with her and be like, well, why are, you know, why are you worried about somebody that's no longer around? Like, I'm not going to cheat on you again with her because she's dead, which is very weird and a very sketchy thing to do. But in March 2012, Goldia revealed more information about the last time she saw Phoenix. While Phoenix was sitting in her SUV, a green sedan pulled in behind her and a black male with dreadlocks and a skull cap got out of the sedan and then got into the SUV with Phoenix. Other people waited in the sedan while they talked. Now, this could have been cell phone Mike or some other guy that she was seeing, but we really won't ever know. And then in April, Goldia said she hadn't heard from the police about the investigation in over two months. So her parents started investigating on their own and they actually went and visited strip clubs, went into dangerous neighborhoods and talked to local sex workers in order to try to find out where Phoenix was, which God, it's kind of hard to picture Lawrence yeah. and Goldia going to strip clubs and everywhere else. But I mean, yeah. I guess you do anything you can to try to find your your loved yeah, one but desperate yeah they went and passed out thousands of flyers and spent most of their savings hiring private investigators because the police just really weren't doing anything the case wasn't moving they weren't even getting updates from them for long periods of time but in april 2012 her parents got a call from a man who claimed he knew where phoenix was and this man was so convincing with the details that goldia and lauren spent fifty thousand dollars which was the last of their savings in order to send private investigators to Texas to go and talk to this man. But when they got there, the man admitted he made the whole thing up and he was just looking for attention. And what's crazy is that no charges were ever filed against him. Can you believe that? I, I can't believe that. Nothing. Honestly, like, Absolutely that's, nothing. 
That's so sad. And this made it so that Goldia and Lawrence couldn't pay their mortgage and their home was foreclosed on That's as a result. Terrible. And this, ha- this kind of thing happens to families a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Phoenix's parents believe her case hasn't been taken seriously by the media or the police because of her race. And there's a, a great clip about Lawrence, you know, explaining, you know, this whole concept and him take, having to take an active role in the investigation because the police really weren't doing much of mm-hmm. anything. Got to take, be your own advocate, basically. Or the media, for that fact. Yep. There was not much done. We were doing everything. We were printing up flyers and going around, passing out flyers in, in different areas of, um, of the city and in East St. Louis and so forth. There seemed to not be any more clues for the police to run down, so investigation seemed to just stop. When Phoenix went missing, there wasn't even local news coverage, or a lot of it. In fact, Chandra was one of the only journalists or reporters out there that actually talked about her case on air, and it was just very difficult to even get that airtime. What's crazy is that even her neighbors didn't hear anything about it, and her friends learned the details of the case through social media. The local Fox station, uh, which Shander was an anchor at, uh, eventually covered it until 2014. And she even said in the series that it's extremely hard to get news coverage for missing person cases in general, and it's nearly impossible when it's a woman of color. Some people believe that Goldia has been adamant that Phoenix never did anything wrong, so she doesn't start getting ignored by the media. She has to make her daughter seem perfect in order to make people care about her, which, I mean, that's just an assumption people are making. I don't think that's necessarily true, but I, I kind of see the thinking behind it that, you know, and, and we've seen from other cases that if you're, you know, if you're somebody that goes missing that is involved in crime or, you know, involved with sketchy people or kind of goes down the, the wrong path that all of a sudden law enforcement's just not going to care about you and they're not going to try to find, you know, look as hard as they might for somebody who's like an upstanding citizen, upstanding person in society. Which I, I, you know, I think there's truth, truth to that. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. But with that being said, let's go ahead and get into some of the theories about mm-hmm. what may have actually happened to her. You know, is Phoenix Colden still out there? So the biggest theory and probably the most popular theory, I guess you could say, is that Phoenix Colden got involved with either just sex work, some type of prostitution ring, or is a victim of, of sex trafficking or human trafficking. And this is a very real problem, especially in the East St. Louis area. Yeah, it's well known in that area. So that makes it more likely, of course. I mean, honestly, it makes a lot of sense. Some women are lured into sex trafficking by a pimp and they take advantage of vulnerable, naive women by showering them with attention and gifts. Mm -hmm. Or they trick them into coming into another city by promising a lucrative modeling contract or record deal. And I mean, there's so many methods and ways that they, they, you know lure yeah. women into sex trafficking but this seems like a very popular way that they do it in a very effective way and it could it. make sense with what she was saying about starting a new life maybe she was promised some type of new life by this person you know like you said attention gifts and possibly a modeling contract yeah i mean want to be hard yeah. to see that happening. maybe she thought that's how she would i don't know but it's i have trouble because that whole video really made you think that she had done something or was like worried about people finding out about some type of secret and like knew she would have to leave because of that. That's why I get 
so stuck on this one because obviously there's a huge possibility she was human trafficked. It's so common. But I think if you just rule that out too soon, which the police tend to sometimes give up on those cases, like they won't put as much resources because they feel like it's going to be harder to solve. So I just don't want to like jump to the conclusion that that is definitely what happened because I think there's a lot of other possibilities. Here. Yeah, there if is. If you had more information, I don't mean... I mean, it seems like a very, I mean, she, her car. So you have to go back to like, look at the evidence. If you look at the circumstances surrounding her disappearance, all signs seem to point to sex trafficking. And even a former sex trafficking victim took a look at this case and look at her story. And yeah. she said that this has the yeah. telltale signs of uh, some type of human trafficking, sex trafficking abduction. And it very well could be. It very well could be. I'm just saying there's so, also a possibility Maybe this was something planned. She has these secret phones. Is it possible that it was staged to look like she just kind of was uprooted from her life, but it was all a plan and she meant to leave those things? Maybe, but but most people that are going to leave on their own accord take take personal items with them. That's just a fact. That's a statistic. Most people, but unless she's working with someone or being controlled by someone who is telling her not to take those things and is giving her a very specific way, because that note also said, if you still are having issues with your parents, you know, by so-and-so time, we'll deal, we'll tell you how to deal with it. So who so, are those people? And what are the know. motives behind that then? I don't know. That's, she's just going to go live a perfectly normal life somewhere else. And this is how she does it. I mean, people do this. That's the thing is people do this. Disappear and start Not all the lives. time, but it happens. Yeah. So people you think leave that they don't want to be around their friends and family anymore. Or they, I mean, she was losing trust with a lot of people. She could have been breaking up with this guy, Mike. Maybe she didn't want to be around in these people. Maybe she really didn't feel like she could trust anyone. That's that's her words. People do this like people. It's it's way more common than you think that people will feel overwhelmed in their life and just want a fresh start. And she literally said, I want to I want to start again. So it just makes me a little hesitant to think that she was just kind of plucked out when it it seems like it was something that was planned for a while and that she possibly could have chosen to go along with maybe not in her right state of mind of course you don't but on the flip side she could have 100 percent been lured by somebody yes of course with, i'm with saying something yes i'm just saying there's there's definitely room for both possibilities here and then once they isolate her they're able to you know do yeah, what they want it's very it's very likely she could be participating and agreeing to things but also being controlled at the same time and in a manipulative situation that's true and you know to your point she has been seen by a number of different people. Yeah. Jeffrey has. Hargrove, a friend of the family, claimed he saw Phoenix twice in downtown St. Louis about two years after she went missing. Wow. One of Phoenix's friends from church, Kelly Frunhert, believes she saw her in March 2014 on a flight from Las Vegas to St. Louis. She was actually seated on the flight and a group of women were boarding. And it was a group of four or five attractive young black women, all well-dressed, wearing expensive jewelry. They were also accompanied by two well-dressed men, about 35 to 40 years old, who mm -hmm. looked like pro football players to her. That and sounds when, like some type hmm, of pimping situation. It does. Right? It does. And when Kelly looked up, she saw a woman who looked just like Phoenix. And she actually said, Phoenix? And the woman immediately turned and looked at her. And she said, oh, do I look like someone? And then she just kept walking. So, I mean. It's like, yeah, maybe, you, maybe you never know. But, I mean, this does happen. And people which at that's at that point you're like yeah would she be help being held there 
Maybe. I mean, Kelly actually went to the Southwest counter after they landed and was like, hey, I saw a missing person. I saw Phoenix Colden on the plane. And the police actually, according to her, did an entire search of the airport, but no one could find find you know this woman that she thought was Phoenix. And this is really interesting. I wanted to share this, something I read earlier. If you do notice someone that looks like someone from a missing person's flyer or someone that you think you may know, like in this situation, you think there could be human trafficking going on on your flight. You just tell a flight attendant and they will have law enforcement on the ground by the time you land. That's a good point. That that way they can confirm because if they are being controlled. Right. They're likely not going to raise the alarm themselves. Oftentimes, you know, victims in this case don't go and you know, at that, especially after years of being missing. Yeah. So this is this is also kind of interesting. Goldia has said her daughter had expensive tastes, so she could have been well-dressed because someone's paying her good money or because she was being pimped out. Women aren't always sold into sex trafficking. Sometimes they're tricked into sex work and just can't get out. And obviously she was in kind of a desperate situation yeah. because she wanted to be financially free because that is going to give her that freedom from her parents who are controlling her every move. So she is that type of person that could have been preyed upon yeah, absolutely. because she would have wanted yeah. the, the financial freedom and to take things into her own hands. It's the perfect target for a pimp, yeah. honestly. Yeah. I mean, to basically make her disappear and, you know, keep her disoriented and distracted until she's broken, dependent on them to survive. Right. My thought w- with this whole theory of, you know, being a sex worker or in sex trafficking is that. I, I think, you know, my my original thought from that video was that this is, in fact, what she had been doing. And, you know, the to me, it just looked like and what it felt like was there's just so much shame there. Like she knew that at that point, it'd be very hard to go back to her her old life and return to her parents because she's probably done a lot of things that her parents obviously wouldn't approve of. But she just mm-hmm. feels very shameful about. And so she's like, well, at this point, I might as well just you know, kind of commit to it and she may, keep it may going. have felt like she just had no other choice. Yeah. Or there was no other choice and maybe they were forcibly keeping her there. Mm-hmm. Another theory is that maybe like you're saying, she just wanted to disappear on January 12, 2012. Goldia got a call from a woman in the middle of the night, but investigators didn't think it was Phoenix. They believed it was just a prank call. So, you know, we may never know, but maybe Phoenix chose to disappear was just trying to let her mom know she was okay. Cause that does happen too where missing people just randomly contact their parents in weird ways like this to let them know that they're okay. The private investigator they hired believes she cashed in the savings bonds and used that money to run away. She could have even used the birth certificate to leave the country and assume a new identity. Very well could have. I think one of the biggest pieces of evidence for the she wanted to disappear mm-hmm. theory is the fact that she was just in the suffocating you know, controlling household for so many years and, you know, living this Mm -hmm. certain type of way that her parents wanted her to live. And she just kind of had enough of it. And she knew that there is no changing her parents. You know, there's no getting around the fact that her mom is going to continue to try to control her life. And so she's just like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm ready to just leave altogether. Live my own life, be the boss of my own life. Plus, she has this new birth certificate she found, which could have allowed her to leave the country and start just completely over. And it's like, I don't want to just say, because personally, if if I were going to say my opinion, that's where I lean most, is that she left. And that video of her is what makes me feel most confident about that. But I'm obviously quick to, I don't want to be quick to just say that that's 
what happened because there's totally a possibility there was a controlling person another aspect to this that we just don't know right that would make a lot of sense but yeah she definitely could have just left and it leaves you at the end of the day wondering is she seriously just out there does she know people are making content that there's a series and i think what's hard for people to wrap their mind around is like why would someone let their family and friends go through that why would they let all these resources but it's like if you committed to starting a new life, you're not going to come back for nothing. No right. oxygen series. She, if she made that decision, that was clearly, she got to a point where that was the only choice and it was a final choice. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't know. I mean, no. she, she could still be out there or she may not even be alive anymore. Yeah. I There's know. no way to know. There's not. Well, what's interesting is that when her parents watched that selfie video, they believed that she was talking about getting away from, you know, some friends or from a boyfriend and not from them. Like and that's they, possible. they interpret that as she's not trying to get away from them, but somebody else. And she's being forced to be there or, you know, stay yeah. with that person. Uh, so yeah. that's why they're continuing to, you know, believe yeah. that this is foul play. I mean, they should until they have reason not to believe that I would do the same thing if I were in their shoes. You got to like rule out every possibility. Well, and in these types of situations, because she's, you know, of age that if the police do finally track her down and she's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I know I'm missing, but I'm not trying to be found. Then the police are, you know, are obligated to not Mm -hmm. tell the, they don't have to tell the family that they, they can tell the family, you know, we know that she's alive and she's okay, but we can't tell you how how crazy and how frustrating with that and sad would that be for her parents to mm-hmm. find out that People she just doesn't want to be with them like that would be really tough especially for for her parents i feel like to know that she's out there and she just doesn't want anything to do with them mm-hmm. but of course yeah she just she may not be out there do you think that there could be you know mental illness here like th- this could be a case of maybe she has like schizophrenia or some other type well, of mental illness delusions uh- paranoia she seemed to have a lot of paranoia but it also seemed like there was a reason for those things but that's obviously possible it's right around that age that you start to experience symptoms in early adulthood of that if you if you have it so it's possible but i feel like it's kind of unlikely because it doesn't seem like there's no evidence to support that she's like on Mm -hmm. drug you know on heavy drugs that are causing her just to roam around the country not knowing who she is or something it seems like it's really not that at all. Well, I hope the police just continue to, or God, I hope they treat it with urgency still, even if they do believe there's a chance she could have left because it's just a chance. That's yeah. all it is, you know? Well, some people out there think that she's just no longer alive at this point. It's I mean, it's possible. Been, yeah. You know, six plus years mm-hmm. and no, you know, nothing from her at all. And what's interesting is that, you know, it's, you know, there's a possibility that she could have been abducted and murdered for some reason. And actually there was another case around the same time that had a lot of similarities to this one. Um, a woman named Stacy English was reported missing from Atlanta, Georgia on December 27th, 2011. And her car was also found abandoned and then impounded just hours after she disappeared. And her family wasn't notified that it was found and investigators didn't connect the vehicle to Stacy until January 5th, 2012, which is very interesting. And the last person to see her alive was a man named Robert Kirk, uh, who was a concert promoter visiting from St. Louis. Um, he was a suspect, but the police cleared him. But days later, Stacy's body was discovered in a heavily wooded area close to where her car was found. 
and her cause of death was hypothermia and exposure. Hmm. That's weird. Mm -hmm. That's really weird. That is. So, you know, same kind of time frame, mm -hmm. obviously different, different area, different state, but definitely, yeah. definitely odd. I mean, I, I think all signs point to her still being out there. I really do. I think she's still out there. I think she's. I mean, what do we know, right? But right. I, it's yeah. kind of what I feel in my gut, too. Yeah. Like something just tells me she's, she's I mean, out there. Whether she wants to stay hidden or she's being controlled is really the question. Yeah. It, it really, because it's like, you know, if you end up murdered, I mean, obviously there's people that are never found when they're murdered, but mm -hmm. a lot of times you end up finding something or yeah. there would be some more leads that would lead to that conclusion but there's just really nothing that leads us to that conclusion at all there's no evidence whatsoever you know maybe finding that extra birth certificate and finding out the truth about her mother who had yeah. put such high standards on her her whole life just completely broke her like made her question everything when you know your own especially like things like about your birth certificate like ha finding stuff like that has got to be so just shocking and traumatizing that it maybe it could yeah. Make you want to just I, I leave. Honestly, like, and this is why I said that I connect with this case so much because I, that's kind of what I did in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, I don't want to get into my whole life story right now because it's a it's a long one, but and it has a happy ending. It now, does but, have a happy ending. I love yeah. my parents and you know, we're in a good place now, but mm -hmm. like it came to a head where I just left. And I was at that point. You came where, to my basement. Yeah. <laughs> well, if yeah, I mean, luckily I had you, so I had yeah. somewhere to go, but like yeah. I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have anybody to go to or anywhere to go. Like, you know, would I, would I do the same thing too? Would yeah. I think about maybe just like disappearing? You were desperate and back then. I was. I was. I was so, yeah. I felt like I was controlled and just mm -hmm. absolutely, you know, ruled by my parents and their religious, I, you know, belief system and, you know, parenting that I was just like, I was 18 too. So as soon as I was 18, I was like, I'm out. And, you know, if I had had you, maybe I would have just up and left and tried to disappear. I mean, especially knows? if you had found some stuff like this, found another birth certificate, right. and all these lies were coming right. out. I mean, and and they were literally like mm -hmm. forcing you do to do all this stuff. Yet they didn't even fault themselves. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that feels like whether they meant to or not, it seems to be a little hypocritical. And I could see how Phoenix would be like my parents are hypocrites my whole life they were raising me mm -hmm. to follow these like guidelines of religion and you know follow these rules and not do quote bad things and then she figures out the truth about you know these birth certificates yeah. and it's like what so it's, i could totally see how that'd be like what what's the even the point right. yeah like what hip hypocrites are my parents mm -hmm. you know and to feel like you've been lied to your mm -hmm. whole life right yeah, God, that's true. That's a big one. Pissed. That's a huge one. Yeah, I'd be so mad, especially yeah. about your birth and like your birth certificate. It's just, mm -hmm. yeah, I think there's there's a possibility she was just really mad. Yeah. But uh, then again, the paranoia and stuff, she was scared. I mean, she said something about cops in there, too. She did. She so did. So that indicates that something is up. Uh, man, this one's a real mystery. It, we definitely really want to know what you guys think. So leave any theories that you have or yeah. what you think happened below. Yeah, the parents still think yeah. that she's out there. I mean, they still run a Facebook page, which we'll link below. They mm -hmm. have a, they still have a fundraiser going yeah, to raise money for private investigators. Something. And mm -hmm. if anyone out there has any information or tips about her case or Phoenix's whereabouts, you can contact the St. Louis Police Department at 314-615-5400.
And our hearts, you know, truly go out to her parents as yeah. difficult as it, as it has been totally. to sit here today and kind of judge their family and the way they've parented and stuff. It's important to the case. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think what you said in the beginning of the show that these things come out of good intentions most of the time, you'd hope. Yeah. And that they, it comes trying. out of fear, too. They wanted to protect mm-hmm. their daughter. And yeah. it seems like. It it's backfired. kind of backfired. Well, yeah. especially sad. knowing the true background of her mom, like maybe her mom was like, I had a rougher life and I don't want to leave that on to my kids. Yeah. So exactly. I'm going to try yeah. and like really lock it up. Mm-hmm. And from this day yeah, forward, from we're going to this way. Exactly. Type yeah. of thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, they clearly wanted what's best for her. They clearly love her. Yeah. Right. We yeah. all right. agree. No. Yes. They love her. Absolutely. And that, and that's like why I think it's, it is important to keep looking and, you know, at least because I think even if they found out that she was alive and well, I think that would be much they could sleep a lot easier at night knowing that yeah, their daughter's still alive. Definitely. And it could help them, you know, kind of reconcile everything. Wouldn't and be easy, but it would be no, easier. No, but it and ultimately it could lead to a very positive outcome. I mean, maybe, maybe. down maybe. the road, but at the same time, maybe she's it's wishful just, thinking. It is. It is. But at least they would know. know that she's alive and that she wasn't murdered. She's not, you know, being harmed or something like that. I mean, any parent would take that over, you know, anything, I feel like. So, yeah, this one's just an absolute wild mystery. And, you know, hopefully hopefully there'll be more one day or, you know, maybe not. So, yeah, I mean, it's it definitely seems like there should be, hopefully. Yeah. But yeah. it seems like the police are hanging on to some stuff too. So maybe yeah. they'll release things. I think the police know more than they've they've let on or, or released that. I want to know how they ruled out Mike B. Yeah. I think the Mikes know more information possibly mm-hmm. about who she was with or yeah. around and associated with that the police are still investigating and trying to chase down new leads that come in. But yeah. So maybe we'll look back at this case again in a few years. Yeah. Hopefully there'll be never some updates. You never know. So let but, us know what you guys think about this one for yeah, sure. Yeah. Definitely want to know your thoughts. And yeah, hopefully you found this episode of the Mile Heart Podcast interesting. If you did, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. But that is it for us today. Yep. And until next time, take your mind a, a mile, mile higher. higher.